Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, guys, I hope you've all had a great week. Welcome back. Eric and Matt here. Welcome back. And we've got an awesome podcast planned here for you today. We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, it's all about the optics. Before we get rolling here today, I'd like to give a shout out to the show's sponsor, Koi CBD. They have some amazing CBD products, oils, balms, gummies, flour, all kind of awesome stuff. I love their Delta 8 products. I have terrible back pain, and it really helps with my back pain. They also do some amazing dog treats. So if you've got some dogs that are crazy like mine, or maybe you've got an elderly dog that's got some bad back pain or something, that will definitely help them sleep and get around a lot better. These guys are super veteran and police-friendly, really awesome dudes, really good group of people. If you'd like to support them, use the code LLP, that's Lima Lima Papa for you military folks, and you'll receive 15% off. So check them out, Koi CBD. Uh, we're going to talk about some optics, and then maybe even talk a little bit about optics in general, like yeah. the optics of the 2A community. So we'll, we'll dive into both, uh, dip our, our toes in both pools, if you will. Yeah, it's a very good double entendre. Yeah. So it can, it can bring out a lot of great conversation. I think so. And I think what brought this up was, you know, as Eric and I uh, get older, we realize that things that we uh, didn't mind doing, like shooting without red dots on your pistols, becomes a little bit more of a chore uh, as you're as you get older and you're as much as we don't want to let go and say, um, I'm always going to have 2010 vision. The days are coming where things take a little bit longer to line up. There's a little bit more fuzziness around the outside of those edges. And you're not able to just like really get on target as fast as you like red dots solve like 99% of that problem. Um, and if you're having astigmatism like myself, they even have optics that are specific for, people that have astigmatisms and it just makes it much less of a chore. And honestly, it makes it fun again. Like before I would go and like, yes, you're, you're doing your reps and you're getting your training in on irons. Um, but when you're able to just draw from the holster and, and hit steel immediately where you want it to hit, it, it does make it much more enjoyable. You know, I think that there's a lot of different, you know, people from a lot of different camps that look at this and, uh, you know, some different environments and different ways and everything like that. Uh, I think I kind of come from the camp that I feel like you should be proficient with iron sights uh, as, as much as you possibly can can do. You know, you need to be able to shoot a rifle with iron sights out to, you know, even at least you ought to be able to make 300-yard hits with iron sights without even thinking about it. It'd at nice. least 300 yeah. with a bolt gun or, or any type of iron sighted, even if it's just a regular M16A1 style uh, you know, rifle or, or a two style rifle with iron sights, you know, you need to know how to zero that gun, shoot it and uh, maintain a proper sight picture and shoot that gun. Well, I think where the red dots and the scope start to come into play is kind of aiding that process and making it a little easier. So, Hey, there's nothing wrong with having an optic, um, you know, or something like that, whether it's a red dot or a, a traditional scope. But I think it's important to understand that those fundamentals still come into play, that you've still got to control your breathing, get a good trigger squeeze. You know, you still have to maintain a little bit of a sight picture, obviously lining up, you know, in the same area every time and having scopes that 
allow for that. And also it does become its own little, you know, <laughs> its own little ritual when its own regard, when it comes mm-hmm. to how, you know, the long range shooting is a whole nother art form of itself. When you get into, you know, you have to have adjustable parallax and you got to set, you know, this adjustment and that adjustment, and then you got to figure out your windage and your elevation and your wind drift and your, you know, the direction the bullet is spinning and right. the arc. I mean, and yeah, then you right. got to calculate all of the, you know, temperature and humidity and other factors to make these extreme long range shots. The, the, the type of precise shot that can't quite be done as easily with iron sights. So, mm-hmm. I mean, optics are obviously an aid to a firearm. It's an aid to the shooter. It helps you, um, you know, be more precise and more accurate in theory. It's not always the case. I mean, someone can, you know, if they don't know what they're doing with an optic and they don't know how to zero everything properly or they don't know how to mount a scope properly mm-hmm. or they've got some really crappy base that's not going to hold a zero and be tight or whatever, or maybe their rails are out of spec or maybe they have a rail system on their AR that's been installed the wrong way or something and it doesn't have the correct torque and it's moving around and stuff like that. So, a lot of the modern optics that we see on our modern rifles, you know, our ARs and things like that, you know, the ACOGs are nice because they're relatively set and forget. You zero it for a specific distance and you know your distances you're going to be shooting and you've got your holds built into the reticle. And there's a ton of different reticle types in the ACOGs. Mm-hmm. I do like uh, the ACSS uh, reticles. Yeah, great reticle. Uh, that are used in the ACOGs. Uh, they're very, very simple optics to take care of. And if you have the standard uh, fiber version, you don't have to worry about uh, having batteries or whatever. So as long as you've got some uh, sunlight, you'll mm-hmm. be able to see the reticle pretty well. So they are a very good bomb-proof option that's very easy uh, to use and doesn't require a whole lot of thinking. Um, it, you know, That's the type of sight. It's, it's meant to be shot uh, as a reflexive-style uh, sight, much like a red dot would be, but... You just have the holds in there. So it's a very easy type of optic to use, but you don't get all the bells and whistles and the flexibility of some, you know, precision Horace reticle Leupold Mark 8 or something that has, you know, a 34 millimeter tube and a big old huge 56 millimeter bell. You know, don't and 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 the power is like a, you know, eight and a half to 36 or something crazy like that. I mean, there are uses for optics that can see that far and be that mm-hmm. precise and have all that adjustability to get the perfect shot. But I think it's about understanding that those two things are two very different styles of shooting and two very specific needs yeah, as well. That, I mean, that's what that particular optic was designed for. I mean, it was made to be a very low maintenance, you know, low technology, high effective optic. So the, the, even with the, there's no batteries, so everything is uh, fiber optic with the sun. Uh, and then you have guys like, well, you can't control the output of the of the reticle. Well, there's a you just put a piece of electrical tape over it, and that's kind of how they MacGyvered that essentially because you couldn't. Uh, but then you just cover up, you know, a half or three fourths of that uh, fiber optic, and it dims it down. And when you need it, you can you can lift that tape up. Um, and it's, it's a great optic, very low maintenance. Um, it's effective range about, you know, realistically five or 600 meters, um, which is probably more yeah. than far enough for your average that, person. And, to and ever that's have what it was of. designed for is that, that medium um, intermediate, uh, range. They do make an led model, um, of the ACOG as well. That has a battery operated, mm-hmm. uh, backup. 
I think they do some that are both that right. you know during the day, but they do have a battery option on some of those ACOGs where if you need to have access to the reticle in the evening, or if you want to use some type of a clip-on thermal or night mm-hmm. vision device or something of that, usually a night vision device, and usually they do co-witness perfectly with the ACOGs. Um, I do like using them with night vision. They're they're quite easy to use, and the reticle. What I like is the eye relief being the way it is. Um, they, they co-witness perfectly with you know your clip-on um, night vision devices and things yeah. like that. So they are useful in that regard. Well, that's basically how I run all my my pistol optics. Is I just co-witness it right on top. Um, it'll it'll pretty much get you where you need to be at. Are you a surgeon with it? No, but you can dial it in. But for all intents and purposes, when you put that on there, just a real quick, you know, quick and dirty zero, you just co-witness it right on top, uh, make sure everything's lined up. So me personally, I have, um, I'm cross-eye dominant, so I shoot right-handed, but I shoot out of my left eye. Um, That is really where optics help me as a shooter, because when you're using iron sights and you're cross-eye dominant, you really only have two or three options. One, you have, you can learn to shoot left-handed. And that's kind of, you have to relearn to do everything and make that your strong hand. Not really what I like to do. Um, so then you have an option of, you can either cant your gun. So when you, when you pull up, you can turn it at a 45 degree angle. So those, those irons line up a little bit easier with your left eye. Uh, and then the third option is you can just turn your, turn your head a little bit to the right to meet that in the middle. And that helps you align those sights a little bit faster, but you lose the peripheral vision on your, on your left side. <laughs> With the uh, with optics, it makes it significantly easier for me. Uh, I'm able to draw, I'm able to present, and then that larger field of view places that red dot right in the center line and to the left. So for me, helps me shoot. I'm able to get on target faster, um, acquire the sight picture, and I don't lose that peripheral vision on my left side. So um, my personal feelings are is that. Um, yes, I'm okay at shooting iron sights. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a freaking surgeon with irons on a pistol. Uh, I am with on, on a rifle. Like I will go ahead and undoubtedly say that. Um, but on a pistol, it, it is a little bit rough. Uh, I prefer red dots on pistols. Sure. Just, you know, every pistol should be milled for a red dot. Well, there's a lot of red dot technology that has come out in the last, you know, I would say realistically, probably the last five years or so. That's been pretty dang good and mm-hmm. exceptional in a lot of different ways. And a lot of different um, companies that normally would not be associated with the red dot site, uh, you're starting to see some red dots uh, showing up and, and getting, you know, definitely a little bit nicer in terms of the features and technology that was available, especially 15 or 20 years ago, you know, back when red dots were not such a huge main, uh, mainstream item as what they are now. There was a lot of cheap you know, low quality, low cost red dots that came out around that time. Really and was. I think that it, it really gave red dots a bad name. It did. That's exactly the reason Be- why they have yeah, a reputation. Because people would see those really cheap ones that would not hold a zero. They would fail. They just weren't very good quality optics. But now we see a lot of the stuff coming from overseas is pretty good quality stuff. I mean, like we've got a few of these Crimson Traces. Um, they make a slide riding red dot here. And then they make their, I think it's the 3001 model uh, with the quick release uh, lever that's on the mutant here. I've actually got a mutant machine gun in front of me, uh, which is really cool. (laughs) If you pick it up, you have to use it. We did a video on this Arex L that I'm holding here, uh, the Delta L from Arex. 
and it's got the crimson trace red dot mounted on there, mm-hmm. and it's been holding up really great. You know, having some fun with that. I did and, notice uh, that has the a rifle. larger field of view. Mm-hmm. That has a larger field of view than your traditional. It does. R1. It has a relatively low profile too, because mm-hmm. the top of this uh, particular slide on the uh, Delta L. It's a pretty thin slide, and you can see it does protrude a little bit, yep. but definitely a very small footprint. Um, you know, And I would say comparative, if not maybe a little bit tinier footprint than your average red dot. Mm-hmm. And a decent field of view, but important, most importantly, uh, the price. Uh, you know, th- These things are very affordable. So what I dig about the red dot world is that a decent optic is still affordable. You don't have to spend a ton of money if you don't want to. Uh, and then there has been some optic companies that have been pretty late to the game a little bit. I mean, we have to admit, you know, that it is what it is. I mean, like, I really respect Steiner's optics. I like Steiner optics a lot. Like, they're very high quality. But when I when I think Steiner, at least as an American shooter, what I tend to think of with Steiner is like hunting optics, which, you know, I have a few Steiners on a couple of my bolt guns, and I love them. They're really great optics. I mean, a German quality, mm-hmm. really, really good German quality with everything. And um, it took Steiner quite a while to get into the, you know, tactical red dot type of market, if you will. And it's not to say that they didn't do that and didn't accomplish it. But, like, the micro red dot sight that Steiner makes, I like that on, like, a Ruger 1022 or, like, a little small pistol build it works really well on like a Scorpion or mm-hmm. you know, a nine millimeter PCC or something like that. But it's almost like they kind of just didn't quite get in the market in the right way. So like they put out that micro red dot site, which is one of my favorites, but it does have limited potential for use on something that you need to co-witness with an iron sight, like a, a, a lower third uh, co-witness mount to be able to clear like the iron sights. Mm-hmm. So you see that a lot of these companies make their you know guns with the uh, or their optics. I'm sorry, with the ability uh, to either just run it flat on a flat shoe or have that lower third that co-witness yep. mount. Most of the people running AR and AK pistols or anything of this type of situation, especially in the AR realm, you've really got to have that riser uh, to put the optic at the right height. So the micro red dot sight. It just has the little tiny shoe on it, and it's great for a small compact setup, and it's perfect on a twenty-two. But then the other red dot that they developed was this like prism style red dot that used like a four power prism. It's like a low power scope with a red dot in it, mm-hmm. which is a cool concept. But the size of it was just like ridiculously large and everything like that. N- not anywhere near what the market really wants. Right, the market wants something like an aim point. Right. You know, one of the small Aimpoint T2s or one of the micros. Uh, they want stuff like the miniature ACOGs. They want small, lightweight, unobtrusive, nothing that's going to get hung or snagged. It's got a forever battery life, works forever. You can throw it down a mountain and turn it on, and it still works. Uh, and, oh, by the way, if you do throw it by a mountain down a mountain, uh, you can send it in, and, and there's a lifetime warranty. Yeah. Like, they want you to hand them a silver platter with like the best deal a person could ever ask for. And they want to pay $99 for it. And that's the issue is the scope of quality on some of these lower priced red dots has gotten so decent that you, you almost kind of sit and wonder, okay, well, why am I paying more for a Trigicon or why am I paying more for an aim point when I can buy this crimson trace here, or I can buy, um, you know, whatever, uh, you know, one of the primary arms, you yeah. know, optics that primary has the arms. ACSS reticles like uh, like that one, the oh. new primary. Okay, that one's, uh, you know, got the bullet drop compensator in it, and it's got the, the sneak ring on it where if mm-hmm. you, 
it helps you line it up. See so that's the, that's the hollow sun. So oh, the, okay, that's the, the hollow sun. The hollow sun but has it's the got ACSS. the ACSS, right? Correct, right. yeah. So between the Halosan offerings and the Primary Arms offerings, mm-hmm. and then you look at um, you know the offerings from like Crimson Trace, you get into some of those, low, that stuff that's, and also the Sig Romeo 5. Yeah. You know, those little optics are like, you can get them on sale for like a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. So when you start getting into stuff that, it, like it works, it holds a zero, the battery life is decent, and they're offering a pretty good warranty, and they're they're offering that for like, hundred bucks. Yeah. How do you, you know, if you're Aimpoint and you're Trigicon, how do you compete with that other than, let's just say name recognition? I mean, now obviously Aimpoint has built quite a name for themselves for, you know, a ruggedized red dot optic. Like they are the industry standard for that. You look at what Trigicon's built. Yes, they have built a reputation for making one tough, tough, tough optic mm-hmm. that has literally been thrown down mountains and has literally still worked. Like yep. made out of metal, they were kind of the innovators on that. Of yeah, like mil- I mean, milling the, it these guys are doing a lot of next level stuff, and a lot of their equipment is getting vetted and used in military conflict and law enforcement roles. Not to mention civilian world. I mean, you, their optics are getting beat up in the three gun realm. I mean, mm-hmm. you want to know how something's going to break? Hand it to a three gunner, and they will break it eventually. Well, then you got guys like Mike from Guns and Gear soaking it in his lake off of his dock on a rope for like a week you know so stuff like that it really kind of puts a little bit of credence to the quality of their work it does and i think that you know uh, uh, there is a price that is commanded by that type of uh innovation and that type of you know name that you built for yourself i mean yes let's face it some products cost a lot because it is what it is i mean you're not going to buy a trigicon product they're not making like the bottom of the barrel super affordable red dot. Like mm-hmm. that's not their thing, right? There's enough people doing that already. Like Trigicon's the kind of company you're going to go to when you're ready for a very precise and deliberate and rugged and great functional aiming solution, right? But the same thing can be said about the aim points or even like the Leupolds. Mm-hmm. Anything in a gold ring and higher, they're all lifetime warranty scopes, anything Leupold makes. We'll talk about the red dot in a second, but loophole is the same way. Like they stand behind their products, you know, their stuff is rugged. It works. It's awesome. If you have a problem, they'll fix it. No questions asked. So that type of no questions asked customer first kind of policy. I mean, if you've ever been in their facilities, I, I've been to loophole before and out at their facilities, it's like super nice. It's like a laboratory, like, a laboratory, a laboratory of optics. <laughs> it's crazy. And, and, and it's, so professional. Everybody is so friendly, and you can tell they love what they're doing. Like they hire really good people to help them, you know, make those optics. And yeah, that comes at cost. You know, the quality that they're putting out comes with a certain cost. But I think that Leupold's done a great job at navigating, you know, something that can be affordable, but still be worthy of the name, you know, Leupold. Yeah. And they, I mean, um, <clears throat> Trigicon does the same thing. I mean, you have mm-hmm. a SRO right here and they have a RMR as well. And they're just two different, they, they effectively do the same things, but they have two different missions. One is known to be a little bit more rugged. The SRO, um, it's built differently, has much more plastic on it. That's not necessarily something, and you can, but it's not something that you would expect to if you just rack it off of a table or rack it off of anything hard. Um, it will survive, but it, you know, it's plastic, so it's gonna have, right. it's gonna mar up a little bit. It wasn't that's not the the mission critical, you know, job of that 
Ready but as a three gun shooter or something, exactly. it's a very effective optic. It's lighter. You know? It's going to give you a little yep. bit more of like any like you know ounces or pounds. You hear mm-hmm. it all the time. But when you're in three gun and you're running around and you know the extent of how you know rough you are as a handgun, it's like kind of throwing it on the table, going to get you know your shotgun or your AR out of the barrel. Um, it's just a different different uh skill set that you need to make and a different need overall you know a different price point that's that's what um one thing i want to mention about leupold is you know they've done a a fairly effective job of moving forward um you know with their optics and everything that they offer uh okay and what i mean by that is you know their red dot site by some people's standards by many standards is pretty outdated Okay, mm-hmm. it's it's a basic red dot sight, and the the design of the optic is very much like an old school Leupold. So it's got the gold ring on it, mm-hmm. like it just looks like a shrunk miniature Leupold scope, but it's a red dot. And it, and to be fair, they're priced very affordably. They are lifetime warranty, and I believe they are American made. So you know you're still getting a Leupold product. It's not like it's just some cheap thing they're putting their name on. So to give them credit, there they did engineer a great red dot. But by a lot of people's standards, it's very large, it's cumbersome, mm-hmm. it's not very rugged. You know, some of the options are a little bit limited. People want something a little sleeker, a little mm-hmm. smaller, um, but just as capable and in a quick release mount, which I believe the Leupolds don't come in a quick release mount. They yep. come in like a one piece mount that just bolts on, which is fine. But people these days, they want the quick release lever. And they want the uh, option to run it either, uh, you know, flat or with a co-witness mount. Mm-hmm. And uh, they want it as small as possible, and they want it to have the longest battery life. Oh, and then if they break it, they want to send it back and get it fixed for free, even yep. for a $100 optic. So to offer that is challenging, right? And how do you do it in a way that doesn't necessarily say, hey, I blatantly copied this person's idea or something mm-hmm. like that? So at least Leopold had the, the the courage to make something that was truly their own. Like, they are the only people that make an optic of that type. Um, but it is cool to see, like, the new Delta uh, Point Micro. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that kind of weird-looking little thing hangs off the hangs back off of your lock. Back, you know, yeah. it's, it's a little different for some. But it is cool to see that product and to see the development of the whole concept of what a red dot on a handgun can be and doing it in a way that doesn't necessarily step on what someone else has already made. So they're actually making something unique and true to them again in their fashion, just like they did with the red dot. So I'm curious to see where Leopold winds up going because they do make their micro Delta. Uh, it's you know, it's kind of like their version of an RMR. It's not a copy of it. It's a very different overall look. It looks you know? completely different. Though. It does like, look it's different, very, very unique. but I, don't I mean, see anybody at the end of the day, off. it's a red dot on a handgun. It's right. the way you would look at that, but they do have a few options like that, but I'm real curious to see, uh, what Leupold winds up coming up with in the future for a micro ruggedized um, combat optic. All right. So I would like to see something in the size range of like one of the T2 micros. Mm-hmm. I love those miniature, uh, you know, aim points and things like that. I'd like to see something in that size range uh, with a good battery life and a really rugged mounting system. And, uh, you know, maybe in a fiber optic type of uh, environment too, you know, kind of like the Leupold or the uh, Trigicon. But instead of lighting a reticle, you're just lighting a red dot and maybe make where you can uh, peel it back or a little rubber gasket you pull back or something. You know, as much as functionality plays into it, I mean, really, aesthetically speaking, it has to look good. And there's no doubt that the, the you know, godfather of optics that look the best 
is the RMR. I mean, you just can't. The RMR looks sick when you put it on top of a pistol that it's like a boxy look super small thin it really set the standard of what a combat optic should look like on a handgun on a handgun or even a shotgun that red dots on on shotguns help immensely i don't personally think that there's a better application function wise than a red dot on a shotgun because if you're just picking up a shotgun and you've never patterned it. It's kind of like it's a really weird feeling because you don't you're not it's not a rifle, it's not going to go exactly where you want it to go. So when you pull up it's a bead sight, like an old school bead sight, but when as soon as you throw a red dot on there, everything opens up. You feel so much more confident shooting it. You know where it's going to go for the most part, and it really really truly helps you acquire that sight picture faster on a shotgun than any other rifle. I think or any other shotguns, weapon. one of the things that I'm a big fan of, I do like the ghost ring sights uh, mm-hmm. that are on a lot of the Benelli shotguns. They are very useful. I think it's also worth noting too, because we were talking about Trigicon here a few minutes ago. Trigicon also makes a variety of different iron sights that have their tritium vials built into mm-hmm. them. I mean, obviously you guys have seen like three dot tritium, you know, pistol sights on your Glock or whatever your M&P those are the most common ones that people associate with the Trigicon vials. But they also do some rifle sights. All right. I've got a set on uh, one of my Colt rifles. I've got a set of their night sight uh, rear diopter and front sight post for the AR-15. Nice. So I can have a nighttime capable iron sighted uh, AR if I want to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's just say that maybe the optic or the... Uh, the gun that I'm using doesn't have any type of a rail system. Say it's a carry handle top, and I want to increase the functionality of it, make it more usable for me as a tool, but I don't want to, one, change like maybe the collector's value of it, or maybe I just want a, sl- a, a sleek rig with not a whole lot of crap on it that has the functionality of irons during the day, but then at night, if I do have to use this, I've got Trigicon uh, vials yep. in my sights, and now I've got a... Maybe not the most ideal situation, but a relatively nighttime capable setup, at least for majority of situations. And a lot of times people confuse night sights with actually shooting at night. Um, That's not necessarily where they shine, um, obviously, because you can't uh, positively identify what's going on. I can see it in a combat zone. Anybody that's, you know, at your 12 o'clock is going to be enemy. Uh, But in your house, um, you probably want to turn the lights on, but really those night sights really, really help at twilight and early morning. So like right when the sun is going down and you can kind of see a silhouette of somebody and you can identify them, that really helps line up the shot or like early in the morning when the sun's kind of just coming up or you have a very low light situation. Um, just to clarify the night sights. I think thing. that there are a lot of people that tend to uh, over glorify and overemphasize um, the nighttime capabilities of certain optics, right? Um, for you know, sure. There's a yeah. lot of people that might own a bump helmet and, you know, a PVS 14, and then they might own a D ball and they might have that D ball zero. Now, do they go out and spend like weeks and weeks and weeks out of their year training with it and using it in some sort of an operational environment? Yeah. I mean, some people do, obviously, absolutely. And they should, right? I mean, that's the whole point of having gear. You got to be able to use it, deploy it, take care of it. And part of that involves moving with it. So, yeah, of course it's important to know how you need to move around with your gear. That's very important. You don't just throw on something and go run around with it and and there it's good, you know. 
training helps you eliminate certain variables in uh, in your rig, right? It could be a loose strap. It could be something's making noise. It could be uh, something doesn't fit right, so it's rubbing you weird after you've been wearing it all day. It could be anything like that. Or it could be, oh, this needs to be taped down. This needs to be moved. This needs to be secured, right? Oh, that color's too shiny. We need to paint it. Like all of those things you learn in the training, and then you take the things that you're learning in training and you're applying it to a real world situation like warfare or everyday survival. And then you don't make those tiny mistakes when you're out in the real environment. That's the whole point of training is to simulate a bad situation. You want those, those crummy little situations to present themselves. So then you know, oh, well, if this happens for real, now we know what not to do. You're not learning what to do. You're learning what not to do and what doesn't work. You're eliminating the things that don't work as much as you can. Right. And then you're eliminating all these different sites because some of them are garbage and some of them are not garbage. Yeah. I don't think any of the ones that we have on the table, but in the very beginning, there that was what plagued them. Like poor battery life, um, you know, not holding zero. Bad mounts. Bad mounts. I can't tell you how many people I've seen take a, a optic to the forehead because they don't lock tight the screws down. They pull it out of the box. They... They see the little screws that come with it, and it has a little bit of Loctite blue on this screw pre-put pre on there, and they think that's going to hold that optic. And no, I mean, all the time you see just taking it, like that optic will fly right off. Well, there are so many of those like really, really cheap red dot sites that were real popular like 15, 20 years ago. And we're talking optics that would come in like a clamshell at Walmart. <laughs> and and the enclosure for this red dot would be some big, ugly, gaudy thing mm -hmm. with like 15 different like optic settings where you can get all these different reticles just by turning a switch, you know. Starts and then you, the can, you can do, you know, change between, you know, red and, and green on yeah. your optic and change the brightness setting. And it was cool, like, to be able to walk into a store and pay 30 or 40 bucks for that and then mm -hmm. go... Look at me. I know. I've got an optic. So it and it did, came with a mount. It did make it obtainable for people to at least throw something on their gun. And But did they ever really work well? Eh, the battery life sucked. They never hardly held a zero. The mounting systems were terrible. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, you're talking a $40 red dot. Like, how good could it possibly be? But it was more of a technology thing and not so much the concept that they were doing being wrong or whatever. Like I think another company that I think of is like those little Nico Sterling optics mm -hmm. that were real popular. Like they went through a little phase, right? Uh, where people really loved that little Nico Sterling because it was like a little prism optic. And it was kind of like one of the first things of its type, especially at that price range. And they just look cool. You know, they're aesthetically pleasing, but I think the delivery and the overall function of them was not exactly the best that it could be in the implementation category. So, again, they also suffered from, you know, not really holding a zero very well, um, not very good mounts at all, not rugged at all. If you were to, you know, drop the gun and it hit the optic, that's it. I yeah. mean, they, they were not very they didn't tough. hold zeros. Yeah. Like, they would break it off. Would, they were, they were made, the mounts were made out of plastic. Not very tactile adjustments. Yeah. I mean, just just not a not a good quality built scope. So, a good idea maybe, right? They had a great idea having something small, compact, you know, and everything like that, and simple, which is what people really desperately wanted at the time. But they can have a great idea, but then if they don't deliver on the engineering and implementing that idea into something that is actually real and not just an imagined, uh, you know, benefit, um, if it's a real benefit, then that's a game changer. And that's why you see like the ACOGs and the aim points 
Mm-hmm. doing so well and you see a lot of those uh you know leupold optics like the mark fours that were out there for so long and i think the military still buys the mark four uh you know those optics take a beating and they keep on working and uh and they keep coming back for more and that that's you know there's just certain things in terms of experience with a given product that only time can reveal how good that product's going to be i mean like we have the benefit of time we have the benefit of knowing yeah, that those 20-year-old clamshell Walmart optics, yeah, they don't hold up very good because we know, we've saw that they didn't hold up for 20 years, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like that's anything new. Um, but it's just important to recognize that, you know, there certainly are certain situations where a company will put out a product and, and you have to kind of think, all right, well, they probably know what they're doing at this point. I mean, Yeah, and, and it also depends on what the, I guess, the customer service and I guess the retention is like. So, I mean, a great example is a uh, Meprolite. I know that um, you gave me a Meprolite optic and it stopped working and I contacted them and they got the serial number off of it. And to their credit, um, they sent a new one out like mm-hmm. immediately and they were like, here you go. And then the optic works great. I mean, it's a red dot. It's a, it's a, a high mount red dot or mid mount. It's those those are the Israeli IDF. Yeah, they it's they basically are the contracting company for the IDF. They do all of the the weapon lights and lasers and optics. A lot of cool stuff coming out of them. But this is uh, for the the five five six or or M four. And that Meprolite actually has a really great mounting system too. It uses um almost like a modified set of those arms number twenty five uh mounts have you ever seen those throw levers it looks like a pair of those arms mounts Mm -hmm. is what it reminds me of and also the mounting system of that optic makes me think a lot of uh some of the oh what do they call those dang things um the l cans it's almost exactly like it's it's very much like the l can spectre dr or some of the larger i know you guys have seen those big rubberized l cans they Mm -hmm. put on machine guns like the 240s the 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 mounting system is very similar to that dual lever yep well uh, it's it is it's exactly what is you have you have an adjustment screw on the left and that kind of allows you to tighten it down when you hit the throw levers and it, it cinches on there really tight um it puts the maximum amount of tension at like the last, you know, eighth of a yeah. of a bit of throw on the lever so that you can kind of squeeze it on down. And once it clicks in, it's nice and tight. You know what mount I really liked, and this has been a while, is the uh, the mounts for the old M2s that we had on our rifles uh, overseas. How it has like the little, the quick detach, but like you twist the bolt and it just keeps, it, you can't really, it won't let you over tighten it because as soon as you turn it, it just it just rotates over and it's like, hey buddy, you're I'm on as tight as I'm gonna go. It's like its own built built in little torque wrench. Yeah, so it's, it's not its you own can't, torque setting. You can't strip it. Like you're not gonna be able to cinch it down so tight that you can't get it off. So that was a really cool like mounting system. That was a cool mounting system. The only problem I had with the early comp uh M4 uh aim points, like the M sixty eight aim points mm-hmm. is I, I believe That's what the, it was, yeah. M sixty eights. Um the only problem I had with them is that usually when you mounted this thing up, you've got this this big neural bolt sticking out to the right. That's the, the tightening bolt. Or was it on the left? I can't remember. It might have it, right. it might have been on the left side. I can't remember which side it wound up being on. I I have an aim point in here. I'll check it out in a little bit for my own benefit. Mm-hmm. But I just always recalled that bolt just really being in the way. It seems like it, it would, did it protrude, would get caught yeah. on things when you're moving by. So it was a cool design for the time. And, and it's great you mentioned that because that was back in 05. Mm-hmm. Uh, OIF three. 
Yeah. So back in those days, I mean, yeah, that was some pretty advanced red dot technology, especially for a red dot that's issued widespread to the military. Yep. You know, those M68s held up pretty dang good. They had that little honeycomb filter in there. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the little IR, the illuminator wouldn't get picked up on on night vision. Yeah. Well, like they would ever have night vision looking at us, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but it was it, there. But it was the top yeah. technology of the time. Now, now are the old school OG, you know, M68s, are they the best thing since sliced bread compared to the T2 now? No. Battery life was garbage. Yeah. On the battery things. life sucked. Oh my God. And it, they usually use the weird proprietary watch batteries. Yep. They, yeah. Like they that. were using the little tiny, uh, of course, they want to be yeah. able to sell those to the exactly. military for a. I remember you know, that you would like you would unscrew that front part off, and then the it was like it took three of them, I believe. You had to put three of them together in there, and I was like, "Who came up with this design?" Man? Yeah, it's pretty random, yeah. and you know it had to be expensive as crap. Um, but is that to say that that optic is as good today as a T two is now? I think the answer is yeah. They're still capable optics. They hold up really well. I do like the M sixty eight. I like the aim points. You know, it's a cool concept. And to their credit, they still make them in that size. So apparently, militaries request them, or at least units do. Mm-hmm. It is a rather large optic. It gets into that same size range that the Leopold that we talked about is. Mm-hmm. It's just big, right? It's it's almost at the point where it's like, well, why not just have an ACOG at this point? Now, when you get into the T2 and, the, you know, the, the smaller ruggedized micro red dot sites like the M5 comp uh, and those types of optics, they're awesome. I mean, they're, they're lightweight, they're small, they're compact, the battery life is forever, the mounting system is proven because it's the same, you know, similar type of mounting system they've used for years. So... Is that to say that 20 years from now, we'll be talking about those, oh, man, those T2 micros, those things are huge. We got this, I don't know, space age crap now that we're using. So technology changes, and it's okay to recognize like good technology when you see it, and then maybe technology that's on the way out in terms of you know it's aging a bit, or technology that just outright sucks, and we just need to move on. Well, uh, and again, aesthetics will dictate what... The community will use because there's great technology out there that people won't use because it's quite frankly unattractive and ugly. So, like the acro, I mean, is it is it functional in a way that's superior to every other optic carry optic? Yes, because it has a covered uh, emitter. It's weatherproof. It you know a lot, they just changed the battery life, but it's ugly. Nobody wants it. No, it's like it's, yes, it's fully functional. It works better, but it's just this massive box on your gun. You've still got to cross the bridge of aesthetics. Exactly. It's like you can engineer something to be the best thing ever, but if it's ugly and it's unattractive and people don't like the way it looks, well, then, you know, people are going to make fun of it. And that's that's why, like, Leupold had a little bit of issue with that initial Delta Micro, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the one that goes over the back of the gun, because it's, it's just different. Like... All right, engineering-wise and aesthetics-wise, is it a functional piece of gear? Heck yeah, it is. It's awesome. I was shooting it really great. Uh, had no problems out of it. And once you get behind it, you can see it's a super useful piece of gear. Like, it's nice. It solves a lot of problems. It's just done in such a, an abstract way that people, most people will probably never think of that it just has this aesthetic to it that to some can be a little ugly because they've never seen anything like that before. So it's easy to think, well, that's ugly. What if every optic site was made like that one and there was 30 brands that had that type of site? And then one day somebody decided, well, let's just put a little small red dot site on top of the pistol. 
guts and all and just mount mm-hmm. it a little higher like that. People will probably be like, well, that's ugly, right? That doesn't make sense. This is the way we're used to seeing it. So it's easy for us to have our individual biases based on experience and based on what we know we like, because that's a natural thing for us to have a tendency to do. You know, we figure out what works for us. We use it. And we tend to kind of be in that camp like, hey, this works for me. Well, then this is what I like. doesn't mean that you're not going to have an open mind to check out a new piece of gear that you you know, never consider you know, looking at or whatever. But it doesn't also necessarily mean that you're not still going to hold true to the, the one, your standbys that you know you trust. Totally. Um, as far as carry optics go, uh, I am in the camp of saying everybody should run a carry optic. I mean, that's just my, that's an opinion, not a statement of fact. Um, I think that it can only help you in any situation, Um, you know, faster target recognition, you know, you're not, the way that the human brain works, if you ever notice this when you're shooting, when you're trying to line up iron sights, the little, if you're talking Glocks, it's like the bucket and the drop of water technique, (laughs) water in the bucket. Um, you have a tendency to kind of hesitate until you get that perfect shot. Like that's just your natural inclination. If you've taken training classes or you've had like any type of training, you're kind of going off of a flash sight picture, which isn't what normal people, like your average per- gun owning carrying person isn't a flash sight shooter. They're like, all right, I'm going to try to get surgical with it. But this really kind of makes you be a flash sight shooter because you pop up and you see everything all you're doing is putting that red dot on where you want it to go the shooting process should certainly be you know quite a muscle memory type of thing you shouldn't it should be a subconscious thing that you do you Mm -hmm. should your weapon weapons handling and i'm not an instructor or a trainer so just take this this is just a guy's opinion and nothing more this is all it is is a two guys opinions all it is is an opinion (laughs) but i think that where you start getting into a little bit of trouble there is, um, you know, people tend to really look at the situation uh, from a, a lot of different perspectives when it comes to the training regimen and everything that goes in to those types of situations. Um, I think you should still be able to shoot irons effectively mm-hmm. and you should still practice on getting the gun out and getting on target and being able to get a good iron shot uh, first. Right. And then that red dot sort of takes over. Right. Um, but the the red dots are nice because it does make it more instinctive. And I think it's important for people to learn how to shoot instinctively. Once your muscle memory takes over yes. and your training regimen takes over, you should be able to subconsciously pick up a pistol, pull it up, shoot it without even moving your head. You should be able to look at the target and be able to navigate and get to your pistol. You should be able to load it, manipulate it, know what's what and be able to just point the gun and it be a natural extension of your body. And you shouldn't have to make some mental process to think about that situation. You should be comfortable enough with your gun that you know uh, the condition the gun is in, you know if the hammer's up or down, you know if the safety's on or off, you know if there's a round in the chamber or not, you know how many mags you've got, you know how full the mags are, you know where the gun is sighted in, you know that the sight is on because you checked it, mm-hmm. you blew all the dust bunnies out of your carry rig, yep. you rotate your ammo, I mean... you. You, you cycle mags out, you check spring specs, you know, you number your mags so you can keep up how many times they've been dropped and how worn out the springs might be. I mean, there, there's so many things that once somebody gets far enough down the hole of knowing their gun in every single way, like, you know, they know it's clean because they, you know, if they're going out to do something important like a, a mission 
or some really crazy raid or something where, you know, you might have to rely on that firearm to save your life. I mean, yeah, when you're in it at that level, you're in it to win it. So you're obviously going to make sure that your gear is clean and ready and ready to use and everything's been checked and every screw's been tightened. Every every little thing has been catered to. You should think of it like that. And at the point that you pull that pistol out to use it in an environment where someone's trying to hurt you, whatever the situation may be, the last thing going through your mind should be, is the safety on? Is there a round in the chamber? Is my mm-hmm. sight on? Uh, you know, am I ready? Well, at that point, it's too late to ask if you're ready. That You're past that point. So yeah, We don't have test fire berms when we leave the house. No. You know, that was always no, like the thing. Like, we don't. Um, so, so you, you can tell a lot by, by someone's level of training and understanding just by watching them shoot. All you have to do is watch someone shoot for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. and you can know how, how much they've handled a gun. Yep, and that and that's very important because, one, you want to make sure that you know, if you have a gun, get competent with it. And, you know, not even to say you have to have training. It, it would be very responsible if you got training. Necessary? No. Responsible? Yes. Well, it's not even a requirement that would be a general, you know, requirement of society. It would be mm-hmm. a requirement of you to yourself. I mean, yeah. if you're going to carry a gun for self-preservation, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm so totally happy that someone does that, right? Like, everyone has the right to protect themselves Everyone has a right to own a gun. I'm totally on board everybody being armed and doing what they need to do and living free and just being good people in their society and and having guns to protect themselves. That's completely normal. All right. That's a completely average, normal thing in American society is for people to protect themselves, protect their families. No one is denying that at all. It is more of a personal responsibility that you have to yourself just like it's your personal it would be your personal responsibility to make sure okay maybe it's 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 probably a good idea to make sure that I keep my guns away from anybody that shouldn't have them right I That's keep right. them locked up but, all right and even if that personal responsibility means I just don't want my youngster grabbing my gun and doing something crazy with it or hurting themselves or hurting someone else it could even be that that tiny standard or maybe it's more of a standard where it's like, hey, you know, I don't want this stuff getting stolen because I don't want it to, you know, wind up in the wrong hands. And that's obviously a concern, I mean, because thieves are out there. So there's these tiny standards that we apply in our everyday life, and it's completely normal to just, you know, have a standard. I don't believe in forcing it on somebody. So I wouldn't want to force someone to get training, but I do feel like it is it is beneficial to them, and it's beneficial, and I believe they owe it to themselves just like you would try to secure your necklace or your laptop, right? You're going to try to secure your gun somewhere, make sure you know unauthorized people can't access it. And then two, it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do? Just pick the gun up and wave it around, try to scare somebody? That's not smart because if you introduce a gun to a situation and you're not ready to use it, mm-hmm. and the other person's absolutely ready to use it, well, guess what? You just made a situation worse, not better. So I think. Even if it's just the general competency of handling a gun with confidence and knowing that you can be safe and you can manipulate the firearm without even looking at it and you feel pretty dang comfortable with that particular gun because you've spent enough time with it, put maybe a thousand rounds through it, you know, you've practiced maybe drawing from a holster, doing a few mag changes, you ain't got to do a lot, just enough to make sure you're comfortable. And I think that it's not unreasonable for people to want to set just a tiny goal for themselves to say, you know, hey, maybe I'm going to get a little bit of training and learn how to more confidently handle uh, firearms in general. 
And of course, shotgun, rifle, pistol, they're all going to have their little, you know, differences in terms of how they have to be handled. You know, just because you're good with a handgun doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to handle a rifle very well or a shotgun very well. Now, if you're used to handling a rifle and maybe you're not used to handling a handgun, well, then your shotgun handling skills are probably going to be a little better because you're more comfortable with a rifle than you are with a pistol. And that just means you need to work on your pistol handling. Or maybe you're the type of person that you're only ever going to have just a pistol for the house or something. You're not interested in hunting. You're not interested in having a rifle. You're not interested in a shotgun because maybe you don't like the recoil. You just want a pistol to protect yourself doesn't matter what category you fall into, and it's okay if you don't want to own a rifle or a shotgun or a Millsurp or a black powder rifle or something like that. If all you're ever going to do is own a handgun, well, then own it, right? Go out and make sure that that's a tool that's going to benefit you, not be in your way or potentially cause you a worse situation by having it. Very valid points. Um, so the optics that we've been talking about so far have all been slide rider optics. So if you guys are, are listening or are watching, um, those are optics, red, red dot sights that bolt onto your slide. They mill them out. Um, some of the higher end pistols will come with it already pre-milled so you can just drop it on with a plate. Um, so then you have, I w- we, if we're talking about optics, we have to talk about the uh, non-slide rider optics for usually you would not see those on a carry gun. Uh, typically, those are like race guns. So you'll see a lot of three gun shooters have that. Um, so ba- Or um, pistols that weren't designed or they're too thin. So like a lot of like Colt, like single stack, uh, 1911s that they typically will use for uh, race guns. It's almost like a, a, a skeleton frame that goes around the firearm frame and then the, the optic mounts to it. And the benefit is that it doesn't move. The optic doesn't move when you shoot the gun. So if they're in a race situation or competitive situation, the, the optic, the, it's not changing. So they can, right. they can just run down and burn it down. You do get a much more consistent sight picture when yep. the uh, slide is not moving with the optic mm-hmm. on it. So there certainly are some, some considerations for red dots um, in that particular way. Um, you know, there, there was also this really big phase that people went through when they were doing like long range uh, bench rest shooting with like oh, special yeah. handguns yeah. and things like that. You know, they would have like bolt action Remington pistols, basically, <laughs> that would be set up with long eye relief optics and things like that. And that was a thing for a while. And then there's a lot of people that are into handgun hunting. Uh, a lot of people will use iron sights on a revolver. I mean, I've shot a few deer myself using iron sights. Um, you can certainly do that. And then, of course, you know, you can mount optics on revolvers. It's a very common practice. Tackleberry um, knows all about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's certainly nothing wrong with having the aid of an optic uh, to help you shoot your big bore wheel gun and get a good shot on animals a little bit better. So mm-hmm. there's certainly some hunting connotations. I think you are starting to see a lot more hunters using red dot sights on on handguns on semi-auto handguns as well as revolvers. Uh, I know there's been a lot of folks that have used, uh, you know, like some of the long slide tactical 10 millimeter uh, Kimbers Mm -hmm. and some of the 45 tack models uh, that have the threaded barrels and the high night sights. Uh, You've got guys that are going and doing some 50 yard food plot hunting with those guns. Yeah. Uh, I think Donald Trump Jr. just uh, shot a deer with this 10 millimeter long slide uh, Kimber at like a hundred yard shot dang so he made a hundred yard shot with that which is cool that's a pretty so it's neat to see guys out making kills with handguns at a hundred yards on game animals so i think that really does 
bring the point home that, you know, iron sight shooting is awesome. I mean, like Jerry and I have done some of our upside down and little fun trick shots and things like that with the you know, Model 10 revolvers mm-hmm. and the J-Frame uh, 642s and, you know, ones like that. You guys had a full-on competition, if I remember correctly. Oh, we have, yeah. right. So I've had Jerry on the <laughs> channel and we've done some crazy trick shots. And those are always fun to make good, accurate shots with handguns with iron sights. And I think that there's going to be a certain school of people that are always going to uh, accept that only really good iron sights are going to be as accurate as what a handgun can be over a red dot. And to some degree, I'll agree with that. Like, I don't know if I'd really want a red dot on a revolver, but I guess some people run that type of stuff too. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do know that like... On Chad's, um, Chad's got a Model 29DX, which is a 44 mag with, uh, I believe it's a six-inch barrel with a full underlug. And that's before they really did the performance center stuff. It was when they just took standard 629s off the line and test fire, and they're like, wow, this one shoots really good. Well, let's just make it an X model, and they would make it a DX model. And it was kind of like before they had a, you know, a, a performance center. But that revolver, like with irons, I can just I can shoot anything. It, it's a bullet delivery device. Like it just shoots itself. Mm-hmm. It's so accurate, even with irons. So I'm a little torn. It's like I think it depends on the situation. Um, you know, if I was going to hunt with a handgun, I think I'd want a red dot on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was going to hunt uh, in a low light situation, an evening hunt, and I wanted to use a handgun. Uh, I think I would certainly want some type of illuminated reticle if I was going to use a, a scope on a revolver or something because, you know, your eyes ain't always exactly as good as they used to be. And especially in the evening, sometimes it can be hard to make out that deer as Everything that light gets level fuzzy. gets really yeah. low. You know, you want all the available shooting light that you've got available to you. Okay. So in doing that, you know, it all comes down to light gathering capabilities. I mean, mm-hmm. with optics, that's where the rubber meets the road in the hunting situation are the anti-fog and the way that they, you know, do the coatings on the lenses to keep them from fogging yeah. up in weird, you know, environments. But then also the quality of the glass in terms of the light gathering capabilities. Hey, you might get that extra minute and a half of shooting light that you wouldn't have, and you'd still be in legal shooting light with an inferior scope that wouldn't allow you to see that extra, you know, minute and a half or two which could mean the difference between an animal of a lifetime and having to let them walk because you can't make the shot. Yeah. Um, that uh, that 629 that Chad had, didn't that originally come with rings on it? When he first got it, it had rings on it for an optic, if I remember correctly. Right. It came with rings on it, and then um, the original iron sight was not in the box, and he had a real hard time finding the yeah. sight because it doesn't use – I don't believe it uses a square cut. It's like some weird round cut on the end hmm. where it interfaces. And from what I understand, that's not a very standard style of, of sight that Smith & Wesson made for very long. So it's <laughs> kind of hard to get. Like we even contacted Smith & Wesson, and they're like, yeah, we don't have any of these. <laughs> I'm like, well, all right then. Well, so You guys don't have it. I don't know. Yeah, so – Anyway, um, we are getting here a little bit close on time, but I think we did we did spend a good amount of time discussing some of our favorite rugged optics, and then we kind of really did focus a lot on the on the pistol lights, uh, which is fine. I did want to give you know the aim points and the uh, and the trigicons and ACOGs and things like that a, a good mention because I feel like the the line really is blurring a little bit between you know guys that are running a handgun with an optic on it versus this the guy that might have an a 12 inch ar pistol with a brace on it uh in in his truck with a red dot on it so 
you know, red dots are in common use on patrol rifles and other short setups and on PCCs, on 22s, just as much as they are a part of a, uh, of a carry gun, right? And I think it's also worth noting real quick before we go that there are some micro red dot options that you can get on certain pistols too. Mm-hmm. If you look at the, uh, the SIG P365, they've got the Romeo Zero, which is like itty-bitty little tiny optic purpose-made for the 365. And it's very low profile, lightweight. You know, the gun's still a double stack, so it's got some generous capacity. So you start to blur those lines between what the, some big full-size um, competition pistol with a, a SRO on it is going to be versus this little guy that it's meant to be small and out of the way. Yep. But still, you can get that thing in action and still have the benefit of a red dot on your micro carry gun. Yeah, I think all of them, all of the, all of the larger companies have that mic. They and it's pretty recent, but I know uh, Trijicon has one for the single stack like shield. It's like a really small like red dot. Uh, Holosun came out with the, something that's very similar as they always do, mm-hmm. and uh, I know Sig has their micro as well. Yep. Um, but I mean, just real quick to recap it that that the the price point that seems to be like that sweet spot for like quality optics i mean anywhere between like say 199 and i mean i've seen them in between 199 and like 400 bucks around about there for like just we're not talking anything extravagant we're not talking like um you know tier one stuff but i mean uh meprolite holosun trijicon yeah primary arms um and then the the Caldwells, Sig. yeah, or not Sig. Caldwells, the um, the Crimson Trace, Crimson Qu- Crimson Trace. You know, another company I've seen. I, I haven't personally used them, but I think it's uh, Swamp Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very similar. I mean, I've heard great things about them. Um, so I mean, those are all good good companies that you can yeah. that you can trust your life to. Well, and I think there's a lot more information out there now, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot more you know video reviews and people talking about gear and all, right? Like if if something really craps the bed and it sucks. Yeah. You're going to know. It's not like you're not going to hear one of us having an issue and then say, hey, this is mm-hmm. this is what happened, right? I mean, uh, I think that problems in this community, and it's, it's a good thing, is that problems with a given product tend to surface pretty freaking quick. They're not going to stay. Very quick, yeah. yeah. It's not going to last for long before people start going, hey, this don't work, that don't work. And um, that feedback also goes back to a lot of the companies as well. So it's like, you know, if – we were to get something in and have some issue, we're going to let the company know and say, hey, you know, this screwed up. This is what needs to be fixed, right? So it's almost like this R&D environment. Uh, we don't have time to talk about it. We'll probably put this in a future podcast. But I'll just mention that, um, you know, a lot of the companies do tend to view the public almost like R&D these days. It's yeah. like they'll have that's a true. rolling standard that's like, hey, we think this is going to work. And then eh, go ahead and put it to market. And then, yeah, they might get 50, 60 units in and go, oh, crap, we need to fix this. But it's like they're effectively doing R&D on the public. Like, they're letting the public be their their research team. And then we get caught up in that too, right? Like, sometimes we get a lot of guys like us get products when they're still really, really new. And they've only been on the market for a very small amount of time. So, of course, we're going to try to find a way to break it Mm -hmm. because we want to know how we can make it better. So, we'll get into that in a future podcast. But, um I think there's some great options on the table, and I think we covered quite a bit. Yep. So, uh, guys, make sure you tune in for Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit here every Friday. 
uh, for a new episode. And, of course, the dog's raising hell, but that's okay. Yep, get <laughs> Have em. a good one. We'll see you next week. Many more episodes on the way. Make sure you leave us a nice rating. It helps us in the search results. Have a good one, and go over to Ballistic Inc., pick yourself up a snazzy T-shirt, yes. and help support the podcast. Have a good one. Bye, everybody. Run my thoughts. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.